Hey everybody, my name is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. And thanks everybody who listened to the last episode, which was of Elreka 7. I had a lot of fun and got really excited looking up the music for that because I realized I have the music for that. Um, not saying that's where I got it from because it's not super easy for me right now to burn a track, to burn tracks directly off of a CD set, which is, um, what I've got. I've got the whole soundtrack for a Record 7, which is really astounding. It's like, show and the show itself aside, that, that soundtrack is kind of something to behold. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about this week. Um, the thing that we're going to be talking about this week is... It's one of those really infamous anime that if you're new to the... If you're new to anime and you're listening to this, as soon as I say the title, you'll be like, Oh, that one. I've never watched that one. But I've seen a lot of weird screenshots, and I'm not sure what I think. And rest assured, there was a time when I was totally with you. And I'm I'm not here to like preach the gospel of this show slash franchise now. Although there will be people who will probably tell you it's their favorite anime, or it's like the thing that it. And pe- people get into anime in different ways. They always have. Um, FLCL Progressive, the new uh, the new season of FLCL that's coming out now. And the reason why it is so big is because it is lots of people's jumping on point for anime fandom. And um, I heard Evan Mento of. Um, former Crunchyroll fame, and, uh, uh, Gamers fame, talk about, um, how he didn't like that the new FLCL was so kind of slavishly recreating the feel of the old one, that he wants, that he wants it to be, like, about animators trying weird shit. And not trying to capture the feeling of the old show of the old show, um, which but and I I agree with him. I I think that FLCL could have found a way. They could have found a way to do something weird with FLCL that did not turn it into its own cinematic universe, as I think Dave said on that podcast. But it's not about it. Create creating shows, especially sequels to shows, isn't about necessarily creating the same. At it's a lot about at least right now creating the same atmosphere, creating the same feel creating the same voice that the show had, especially when it's a direct sequel. I 
Um, I didn't get to catch the first episode of FLCL Alternative that aired on April 1st, because I was busy, and blah, 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 but, um, I'd be curious to see what they do with that, because, progressives, like, if, if, if naming conventions are going to be a thing, and progressive is the progressing of the story, then what is alternative? Is alternative the one where they got weird and funky? Because that would be really interesting to see. But, for right now, I think progressive is a... It does stretch the, like, kind of loose lore that they came up with, that is very much just like nerds in a room trying to think up cool shit in a way that I, I'm not sure how I feel about right now, but it might get there. But back to what I was saying before I went on, on a tangent in about FLCL. But FLCL was another one of the infamous shows. For lots of people, is what got them into anime. They stumbled onto it late night. But for a ton of people, and probably more people, it was like the second or third big show, or it was a show they came to after seeing tons of other anime, and like, it woke them up again. And it reminded them about certain things they like about the medium itself. And Onizuk, um, the show that we're about to talk about, um, GTO is definitely one of those. So, 
Great Teacher Onizuka, or GTO as it's more commonly known, it was this infamous, like, anime that was around in the late, in the, from the mid-90s, based, from, in my recollection, um, I could have an iPad in front of me telling me exactly when it came out, but it was around, like, the early 2000s, it was kind of infamous, because of all the reasons anime was infamous back then. It was uh, lewd, it was gruff, it was a story about, it was a story about something that other people hadn't seen before in other places, told in kind of a way that people weren't seeing in many other places. Now, uh, I'm not necessarily going to go through, like, episode by episode, because uh, this show, I think, has maybe 49 episodes total, and that would take longer than the hour I usually try and limit myself to in the podcast. But, uh, basically, the idea is, is that they take this guy who is he's not a Yakuza but he is this like he is the former version of the step below that he is like he is the grown up version of like the teenage biker of the teenage Japanese biker gang punk from the 80s and they they so they open up the show with him just hanging out in a, in a mall, staring up girls' skirts as they go up the escalator. And the way you're introduced to him, he's this kind of, like, lackadaisical, Yakuza-esque, kind of asshole. But then you're, like, you're introduced to his friend, you're introduced to friends, to his friend, um, I forget his, I forget his best friend's name, but you, you find out through flashbacks that they were, like, serious, serious, like, ride or die motherfucking biker gangsters in like and it's like the best the best if you've never seen this show the best depiction of the kind of gangster that they that Onizuka and um what's his name damn I'm gonna remember Onizuka and Ryuji were is it's probably something along the same lines as Kuwabara ends up being in the Dark Tournament arc, in the second half of the Dark Tournament arc in Yu Hakusho, but with motorcycles involved. A lot more motorcycles involved. And... Ryuji comes and picks him up after he beats up these two kind of 
street punks who try to shake him down for money because they catch him staring up girl skirts. And after promptly putting his hand through a ATM machine and pulling out all the wiring in it to scare the living shit out of these guys, he beats them up, takes their money, and then he goes off to his job where he is going to be a student teacher. Now, for for a kind of reflection, Ryuji has grown up and he is like the manager of a bike shop. He is the kind of position, he is the kind of job that allows him to do kind of whatever he wants because he's making good money, but he also is the kind of job that did not lend him any authority in society, really. Because it, the way the way Japanese society treats people who are clearly delinquents and people who are clearly outsiders has never been kind. Um, if you, for example, here in America where I'm recording this, it is not a tattoos are not just fairly common, but, like, almost commonplace. It is not uncommon to see, like, a sizable tattoo on a person in a place that you would display it. Like, on your on your arm, on your leg. Um, but in Japan, that is a sign of being a Yakuza, having, like, a big, beautiful, like, I'm talking gorgeous tattoo. Also strangely liberated of these. Um, they get it from being tattooed in back alleys and shady situations. But, as a result, people who have tattoos are barred from working in certain places. People who have, like... Pe- so people who make themselves look a certain way are almost sidelined from a lot of positions in life. So for someone like um, Onizuka to be a student teacher is this kind of stunning, unbelievable turn of events. And it's it suggested that like how the fuck how the fuck do you think you're gonna mold the young minds you've you're crazy uh, Ryuji says like he basically tells them like you I can't believe you you really gonna do this this is crazy and here's where the now in the in the Black Lagoon episode which is actually also a great demonstration of the kind of like outsiderness system that exists in Japan. The um, second half of that show takes place in Japan and deals with a lot of those people. Um, but in in that in Black Lagoon, none of the people in that show are good people. They they don't they don't do things out of the good of their heart. Even by the end of everything that show has to offer, even Rock, the, it's the for all intents and purposes, main character of that show, 
become this like master manipulator beyond all else. And yes, he try he tries his best to save people, but he is doing it less out of the kindness of his heart and more as a way to <laughs> to amuse himself. You get and they make a serious like yeah, he's an okay person, but he's still an adrenaline junkie and a crazy person. Um, and Great Teacher Onizuka does something different than that. It says, maybe all of these people that we perceive as being bad people in Japanese society aren't actually the worst people. Maybe the worst people are the people who just allow the system to continue to fail. Now, in in this show's vision of Japan, the education system is failing. And it's failing hard. And people are just trying to stay out of... And all the teachers are just trying to stay out of the way and collect a paycheck. They say that as much in the beginning episode. But in the fl- between the flashbacks that you see of Ikichi, the main character, and the present version of him, you start to realize that something must have turned him down a road that did not lead to him dead. <laughs> because you get this real feeling of like oh they they were fucked up they were not going to live to see 25 they were not going to live to see their 20s and here he is 22 and like that the show makes it clear that that's a big deal and um later on many many years after this i think maybe in like 2000, I want to say, 15? The, 2014 or 2015, they released a, like, a special run of, like, the early years of GTO, GTO the early years, or some such facsimile, which was the, like, the pre-GTO years of Onizuka and Ryuji, like, being fucking gangsters in, like, the 80s. And they had, like, jokes about cars with gullwing doors and all this other shit. And that show, uh, while managing to contradict a lot of the flashbacks in GTO... Um, it kind of set up the idea that, like, yeah, he was saved by a really specific set of circumstances that if, like, one thing had slid the other way, he'd be dead before the show started. And so he he comes from a life where he understands the fact that, like, these kids aren't, like, the, like, all the big, thug, gangster kids that you, that you encounter in the show are not, they're not that bad, they don't know, 
they don't know what they're doing, but he also but he also reveals the fact that neither do most of the teachers. And the ones who the teachers who do know what they're doing in this show are usually bad people. Like, um, there's the teacher from the first episode who basically is like, hey, I get with 16-year-olds. I'm like 32. <laughs> um, and there is a lot, like, be warned if you're, like, squeamish to the idea of, like, older dudes perving out over, like, teenage girls. There's a lot of that in this show, especially in the first episode. Um, mostly because uh, just the way Ikishi's character is written. He's written as this... He's written as a bad person who's going after a noble goal. And he... But all the people written as good people, primarily the vice principal in the better part of the show are they're, they're written as if they are trying to better society by playing by its rules which are clearly made to benefit them and not society as a whole so like um and the vice and they make those characters and they make those characters often the butt of the joke, like um, the for example the perverse teacher in the first episode, the child molester teacher in the first episode. It, he spouts off all this stuff about how you know we should stay out of the way, collect a paycheck. There's too many drugs, too many distractions. There's like nine hundred things that you would expect. To hear out of somebody who uh, sees no way out, uh, who who do, who sees a way out, but doesn't care to fix a problem, is kind of the feeling you get. But with all the character with characters like Oni, like Onizuka, and characters similar to him in the show, you find out that he's really, truly after, like, trying to make these kids' lives better, trying to, like, prepare them for life and how and how to deal with things. And in the, in the first episode alone, he deals with, like, these punk kids who try, who try and blackmail him with pictures of the main female character in that episode um, Mizuki, I think Mizuki is her name they try to blackmail him with pictures of him and her and he just straight up like first off, they get in trouble with they, they're revealed to be just these like high school punk ass assholes and they get in trouble with a biker gang with like a biker gang separate from Onizuka and then Onizuka shows up, and he beats his way through most of the biker gang, and then part part of the biker gang, and the rest of the biker gang is like, we need to kill this asshole. And the head of the biker gang hears 
like the name Ikichi Onizuka, and he's like, no, don't try and kill that dude. <laughs> he will murder all of us and leave us to drown in the pond. And all the kids, like those three punk kids, they don't know what's happening, but all they know is this is convenient for us. We can get out of here. He's our teacher. He has to help us, right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't. It doesn't matter what we do, our teacher will always be there to help us. And here's where I think the show gets its infamous streak from, because they set that up, and they set that up really well, and they say, here's what you would expect to happen in most things. But no, he shows up and he's like, no, fuck you kids. You have the nerve to blackmail me and trying to get money out of me or get me to quit. And then, when it benefits you, I'm your teacher, I'm your safety blanket? Uh Uh-uh. And he had this moment where he just says, like, we're all people, we all fuck up, none of us know what's going on, and... If we all agree to be cordial and polite to each other, uh, A, I'll never have to torture you guys again, but B, we might all just learn something from this experience. And in, like, a weird way, he becomes this, like, tough love asshole... And he, for the entire show, he is this tough love asshole. And everybody who, like, all the characters who encounter him, with the exception of uh, probably the principal of the, I forget the school, the name of the school that he's been most of the series at, but it's a private, the private school. With the exception of the principal, most of the other teachers who encounter him they and it would they just like encounter him as this problem as this person who does not belong as this like person who deserves to be sidelined because of their attitude of the way he dresses of like 900 different things and this this show's primary message is look, if there's something you want to do and you can do it well why should anybody, including you care how you do it as long as you do it and you better something by doing it so like uh, to give a great example that uh, when Anthony Weiner, aka Carlos Danger, tweeted his dick out to the internet, um, there was a real conversation of like, how many chances do we give this guy? Blah 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 blah. blah. He has never ceased to be a great public servant. He has never ceased to serve people, but he is also. Uh, one of the single most narcissistic po- people 
in politics, probably. It does not mean that he's not a great person, it just means that he has bad tendencies. Uh, uh, in in a way that inf- infects his public life and his job, but doesn't d- determine the quality at which he can manage both. Uh, or manage his job, not his public life. That's shot shit. And someone said something really interesting, you know. Bill Clinton was impeached over sexual misconduct. Anthony Weiner basically got kicked out of politics perfectly, permanently over sexual misconduct. Um, Elliot Spitzer had a similar issue. Um, lots of politicians have had a similar issue. But somebody said, you know, when every politician has something like this in their path, has some sex capade tape, it will cease to be a story. These guys just happen to be the first ones that have the sescapade tape. So it is viewed as, like, amazing that they're allowed to continue. Now, it would be one thing if all of these examples I just gave you were bad politicians. But for the most part, they were really pretty good politicians. They were really good at their jobs. Um, but, and leaving politics aside, just they, they were completely functional politicians. The things that got them ousted were not political, but personal. And great teacher Onizuka is a, is at his best an examination of what it's like to have someone with great personal flaws still succeed at a job, not just in spite of those personal flaws, but because of them. Because Onizuka knows that no one, that the kids that he's given charge of have never really been truly paid attention to by anybody, he finds a way to pay attention to them and to encourage them and try to be their champion. As someone who went through the great American school, public school system, I can tell you for a fact that that doesn't happen very often. There are not very many teachers who will stick their neck out for you because... Lots of people describe teaching as a calling, as a righteous path, but the reality is, is at the end of the day, it's also a job. And if someone's job is attached to how well they do, then any failures that occur, they will try and brush off. It's not And it's not because they don't like a student or they don't like the system. It's just because they are trying to keep their job. They are trying to keep their livelihood. They are trying to pay rent. It's the same way someone's parents are trying to pay rent. And that creates a double, like a double incentive, almost. 
what great teacher Onizuka posits it's like is no what if this guy by not caring about the back by caring about that stuff but putting his goal to help these kids before that lifted all boats in the process if instead of saying like oh like yeah that kid didn't do well on his test but that's not my fault he's just a bad kid instead of doing that he went he went to that kid and he said like you did really bad on your test what the fuck I'm going to sit here and we're going to figure this out. And attaching himself to that kid in that way and helping him or them or however many kids it is succeed, he lifts all boat. Yes, and his paycheck is still there at the end of the day. But also, instead of trying to find the safest place in the earthquake... He has managed to stop the earthquake. By the end of... By the end of the first episode, he has managed to stop the earthquake in that class. And by the end of the show, he has managed to stop the earthquake in that... In the class that he gets. And he moves them... Not He doesn't just move them to a better place. He moves them consciously forward. By the, and... That, so all of that that I just mentioned is really the best parts of the show. The bad parts of the show are... Uh, the humor is not ultra great. It is... It is, like... It is as anime humor as you can possibly get. There are some funny one-off jokes. The, the stuff with the vice principal and his family not loving him is just straight-up sad. Like, it is sad. You see this man as his family slowly grows to not give a shit about him. And you just feel bad for him um, in a way that I think is pretty unique to a to a degree in anime. It's, uh, um, the best... The best analog I can draw, actually, again, is in Black Lagoon when... Um, I think it's Mr. Kageyama, uh, Rock's former boss, goes home, and you realize, like, that he just it's so obsessed with business he doesn't pay attention to his family. But imagine that was the other way around. Like, he goes home and he wants to spend time with his family, and his family does not give a shit about him. Um, that's... I, I think that making that inverse is actually where they got that character when I think about it in Black Lagoon. But, so that's just like, that. that's actually a good part of the show, but the, like, the humor they inject into the show is not always the best. It is at best like a chuckle. It's not like a, it, ke- it keeps you going along. It's a humorous show, but it's not, that's not really what you stay there for. And then, of course, as any popular show, as any popular anime does, it clearly, like, it 
start to spin its wheels and it like it's got the soap opera bog downness of like of anime that anime has sometimes where they're not really accomplishing anything they're just going through an arc that you know doesn't matter um which which is unfortunate because the first episode of the show see fucking mile a minute pace it like they're on, like they're on fire and running through a lightning storm they start an arc and they end an arc in a they start the sto- a story arc and they end a story arc in a single episode and it's just really short and concise and specific. Um, but it's that that's really unique to the first episode of this show. The rest of it is a much longer arc and they deal they deal with all kinds of really serious and heavy topics like the fir- the first episode of the show is all is basically an episode about abandonment, about a child feeling abandoned by their parents. Um, a huge chunk of the second arc, as it were, is about a kid who's suicidal. Um, a there are arcs about like people finding their about like helping kids find their purpose, even if they're not necessarily the smart kids on the block. About telling those kids like, hey. I'm a bonehead too. You don't have to be like Poindexter to make it in the world. Anybody who tries to tell you that you're going to need the kind of math you're learning right now in 20 years is a moron. Like, they have those discussions, and that's really interesting because, once again, this show posits the idea that maybe it would be okay for teachers to be more human and be more honest with their students. Um, which actually brings me to a story I want to tell about one of my teachers. Because I, it relates to great teacher Onizuka. I had a English teacher in my freshman year of high school who was renowned as like the cool teacher to have for English. Um, and he what would do things like because he could he'd like play hacky sack with us he'd put salad finger he'd he'd borrow the I remember one time he borrowed the projector and took us to salad fingers <laughs> to give you an idea of what this teacher did now, yes, there was like review, there was like teacher review day when he was like, okay guys, the vice principal's coming down. We need to do some serious learning. Just pretend like we're learning. <laughs> um, I remember he did things like we stopped reading a book because none of us gave a shit. <laughs> or, um, we watched every Frankenstein movie, curiously enough, except for Young Frankenstein which I called him out on multiple times um when we read the book Frankenstein I think we 
maybe read like a couple chapters of that book, and then we just started re- like we watched like the Nine Frankenstein's. We watched um, or we only read like the first chapter of Romeo and Juliet, and then just yeah, what the feeling that book just didn't freaking read it. And I asked him later, and he's like, "You guys didn't seem that." enthralled by it, so I didn't feel like I had to teach you. And I asked, and I also asked him when I was much older, when I was an adult, and I went back to visit him, said, you know what? <laughs> what made you so chill? And he said to me, and I thought this is really, and this reminded me of GTO, he goes, when I got to this school, I went to a really good high school public high school. He was like, when I got to the school, it was a Blue Ribbon school. For those of you who don't know, Blue Ribbon schools were designated by the Bush administration as being the top schools in the country, the top public schools or private schools in the country. He's like, it was a Blue Ribbon school. I was convinced that every kid was going to want to learn, was going to want to like participate, was going to want to dive into all the literature I had planned. And then he said to me, he's like, and Alex, I got he when I got here, they gave me the biggest stone out and burner bigger burnouts and stoners that I have ever seen before or since. I mean and it's like he was like you could see it in his eyes. He was serious. He was like I was so disappointed. I remember one time I gave a test and some kid left for a bathroom break and he didn't come back so I went to check for him because I was worried and I saw him lift himself out of the window with his backpack and run off. (laughs) So, like, and... Once again, this was in, like, a Blue Ribbon school, one of the best schools in America, according to the Bush administration, which, you know, really not qualified to evaluate intelligence, but whatever. Um, and that's really, and from that point on, he just, like, he tried to do the best work he could do, he tried to do the best work he could do for the students, I remember he, I remember in another inspired moment, he decided, just stop giving us homework. Because, I I mean, I was the only person handing it in, and he literally went, I'm going to stop giving you guys homework, because you don't need anything else fighting against you, and Alex is the only one doing it, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he's phoning it in. I'm like, eh, little. And just, like, he, he was interested in us he was interested in us learning and getting value out of class instead of just memorizing something for the next test. When there were things like standardized tests and all that stuff, he made sure that we had the best tools to deal with that, but he didn't want... He didn't want the experience of learning about literature and of thinking and of being taught to be bad because and I'm going to talk about a less favorable teacher I've had now I've had lots of bad teachers 
It's part of being a disabled cancer survivor going through the public school system in the late, late 80s to the... I hate saying the mid-aughts, but the mid-aughts. Um, but, or the early-aughts, rather. I hate saying that, goddammit. But I had a teacher who... A math teacher who couldn't find... Who just didn't like me. Didn't like me. But couldn't find a reason to really dox me. So she started counting the fact that I didn't bring a pencil to math class against me. I also had a illustri- illustration teacher in college, which if anybody's listening who went to college with me, um, you'll know who I'm talking about, because there was only one illustration teacher, who tried to fail me because I didn't show my process enough. And in both cases, I went to a teacher who I trusted and said, you know, this is bullshit. I'm doing the work. I'm getting grades. What the fuck? And someone had to deal with them. I had, I also had a, um, so when you go through special education and the American education system, and there's the only way, the only reason I'm doing this is, this matters, I promise. You get a IEP, an individual education plan, and you, like, that's managed for you to a point, and then you help manage it, I think, at, like, 15 or whatever. And, like, there's someone who's, like, represents you, essentially. Usually, like, a medical, like, a psychiatrist of some sort. This guy... Tried to tell, tried to tell people I was retarded, and I remember vividly the person who I had after him. When I was doing, there was there's a kind of testing you have to constantly do to like be reevaluated. You basically have to be evaluated like once a year or some bullshit. She looked at that test and she said, "You've been doing all this stuff for so many years. No one like you." Disabled, you only have one hand. Why are they timing you on this shit? That just... And and she said, like, that just makes no logical sense. Of course you're not going to be able to do it as fast as somebody with two hands. You don't have two hands to use. This is stupid. And she just threw out that part of the test. She's like, you can finish this, but I'm not going to count it. I'm not even going to report it. And she later said, like, yeah, the guy who was in charge of you before, nobody liked him. Everybody just kind of knew he was an idiot, but nobody could do anything about it because of the way the system was set up. So, uh, my point here is, in terms of GTO and not just reliving my educational experience, the my personal version of hell, I'm sure everybody has one, um, is that GTO goes out of its way to present a character who is doing, who is doing what he's doing for 
the right honest reasons even if he is deeply flawed and not necessarily a great person it's a it's a great example of just a character treated like just a person who's trying to do some good in the world and not like there's a second coming of Jesus and shown and shonen shows are especially guilty of this i mean uh, and they're getting more complex as the genre gets older not necessarily shows like dragon ball z but in shows like um like boruto boruto this week if you haven't seen the episode of boruto that came out today i believe like the day that I'm recording this and releasing this, which is the third day. Um, it's the episode that gets to the point where the Boruto movie got, where Naruto, as the Hokage, as the father of the main character, as the largely absent father of the main character, basically, like, metaphorically disowns his son in front of a stadium full of people. And then sidelines him. Now this character, up until the, up, up until, the Boruto series was this like, character who grew up without parents, and then got to meet his parents in like that show's version of the spirit world, and deeply values. And the show has this has this understanding that deeply values relationships and friendships and found family and all this other stuff. But then when they age up the main characters, they take a really interesting stance on it in that he values the, like, superficial relationships that he has with all these people more than he had than the relationships he has with his own son because he doesn't know how to navigate that because he never really had a relationship with his parents so he's just doing his damn best which is not very fucking good naruto i'm sorry you are like the best example of a shitty anime dad <laughs> And, but they, they cast Naruto in this, like, negative light, but they also cast him in this pot, that he is doing good for the world, even though he's not the best person. And that's interesting to see in a shonen show, because usually you get it in shows like, um... Black Lagoon, and like GTO. GTO whole conceit, once again, is a, it's just a normal, flawed person trying to do their best to do something good. And even if the show's uh, not it is not as great as its name, or even its theme song, or theme song or ending song, for that matter, that 
the second theme song and the first ending song of this show are really good. But, um, even if it's not a great show, I think it's, it found a place with anime fans at the time and continues to find a place with anime fans as a kind of culture. Because anime fans are really young. I mean, I'm almost 30, and I'm ticking down to the... I'm not almost 30, I just turned 29, but at the time, at, now that I'm 29, I'm, like, ticking down to what they call the otaku expiration date. But for, like, a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, the idea of a teacher who will just level with them and not be a sanctimonious prick any chance they get seems like a great thing and it's it's uh, it's something to like look at in awe even today and it also helps that like he's this badass and he's people's wish fulfillment of like oh what if I could be that badass what if I could be like goofy but cool and like awesome and badass like Onizuka and it's it's a good fantasy it's a good fantasy that you know maybe not all teachers have to be cut from the same cloth that there's not a specific kind of person who's right to teach that anybody that everybody has something to offer somebody else um, and then there's also the, like, the, like, the side fluff stuff, like, the love story that eventually matters a lot to the plot that is neither here nor there. I, I don't think the show is particularly great as a, like, as a romantic comedy, although there are certainly episodes where it turns into that. Um... But it's, it's, I think it earned its place in this, like, infamy that it has of, like, after you dip your toe far enough in the, in the anime pool, you eventually start to see GTO screenshots and just, like, realize, like, what's this weird thing? Why is it weirdly everywhere? How is it this popular? Huh? And also, why when I try to Google it, do I come up with cars? God damn it. Um, but, th- with all of that said, I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And if you like this show, please share it with your friends, please rate it on iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts with your ear holes and leave me a good rating um and I will talk at you all next time